Welcome back for episode 16 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Four Horsemen. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. We are now in Revelation chapter 6. The Lord unseals the book with seven seals. Breck, I've always been fascinated by the four horsemen of the apocalypse who appear when the Lord breaks the seal on the book. Can you talk about the four horsemen? Yes, but let's first remember where we are in the play that John is watching. We're still in the heavenly council, and the Savior, or the bridegroom, you remember, mm-hmm. is now opening the book that reveals the tribulation or test that we will have to pass through here in this mortal world. To understand the story, we, we have to liken it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are each an Adam or an Eve. We each will go through the same mortal testing phase where we leave the presence of Father and descend into the earth to gain experience. Now look back at facsimile 2 in the book of Abraham. You'll remember that's on page 36. Remember that this is a map of the universe. The whole universe is divided into upper and lower segments, as you'll see, with heaven above and the earth beneath. Professor Hugh Nibley says this, quote, the lower part of the circle represents the lower or dark hemisphere, while the upper part symbolizes the sunlit world of heaven. The map as a whole overviews the human cycle, which is the pre-mortal, mortal, and post-mortal phases of our lives. Or, as we've said before, Acts 1, 2, and 3 of the temple drama. Now, ancient peoples thought of the sun weakening and dying toward autumn, you know, because the the days get shorter and the nights longer, Mm -hmm. and then fighting a battle in the dark underworld, the sun does, to rise again in the springtime. The zodiac traces this eternal round as the sun dips into the winter months. This is the path the sun follows as it goes from spring, summer, fall, winter. It has to go under the so-called dark constellations to resurrect and ascend to glory at the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year. Yeah, so so remind me, uh, what is the zodiac? Well, it's the circle in the sky that the sun makes as it travels from one constellation to another over the course of a year. There are 12 months, so there are 12 signs or constellations in the zodiac. Okay? okay. Yeah, I remember. Six of those were considered dark constellations, mm. and six are light constellations. The dark period is fall and winter, and the light period is spring and summer. Adam and Eve descend or fall from the upper world into the lower and begin this wintry trek through mortality. In Jewish legend, they fall from Eden on the summer solstice, mm. the longest day of the year, when the sun begins to weaken. And fortunately, their path goes down, but then up, okay, on the sort of figurative journey that is that we experience in our temple ordinances. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, fine LDS scholar named Jeffrey Bradshaw who has written this, quote, the two ways of light and darkness are one way after all, 
because it's circular. As the wise Heraclitus said, Greek philosopher, quote, the up road and the down road are one. Okay. And which one depends on the way we are facing. Oh, wow. That's cool. Of course, the Savior himself takes this journey too. He mm -hmm. descends below all things that he might comprehend all things, mm -hmm. then ascends up on high. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 88. A non-LDS scholar, who was actually my teacher at one time, oh, cool. uh, Professor Glenn Olson, he says this, quote, Christianity builds around two moments or movements in the life of Christ. The first is descending. The Greek word for that is kenosis. And includes his, his birth, his death on the cross, and his taking on of the sins of the world. That's descending. But the second movement in the life of Christ is ascending, right? Ascensus in, in, in Latin. And includes victory over death, ascent to the Father, and all of those themes associated with Christ as the Lord of the universe. So, here's the thing. Our own mortal path is like his, like Christ's. We also descend into mortality, where we experience pain and death. And if we are faithful, we are resurrected and ascend with him to eternal glory. And that is what that picture in uh, the book of Abraham uh, symbolizes. So John is saying that the, the seasons are symbols of our lives. Mortal life is fall and winter, and spring and summer are the resurrection and eternal glory. Yeah, this is very important to understanding Revelation. John is using these astronomical symbols, right, to depict the course of our lives from pre-mortality through mortality and on to immortality. Now, when the scroll opens, four horsemen ride into view. These horsemen are actually four constellations of the Zodiac. Oh, did you know that? No, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, one in each corner of the sky. There's one in the north, south, east, and west. Those constellations in the corners of the universe are intended to symbolize the universal tribulations that fall on us all. So we previously talked about the Holy of Holies and the four points on the, the Holy of Holies. Is this connected to that? Absolutely, yes. The, uh, the four horsemen, the four corners, the four cherubim. Yes. The four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm getting that. Yeah. So you're saying that the four horsemen are signs of the zodiac. Exactly. Now, we'll see that uh, more clearly as we go along. Each horseman is going to bring a different trial to Adam and Eve, who are us, right? Right, right. The, the horsemen um, represent the troubles and trials, the thorns and thistles and briars. It's a symbol that Isaiah talks about, the thorns and the briars that we go through. Mm-hmm. Isaiah talks about those in his chapter 10. Now, in, remember in Genesis, the Lord says, Cursed shall be the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Now, that's in the um, book of Moses 4. Yeah, I've always, always wondered what that meant. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's an appropriate uh, metaphor. Yes, yes. For this mortal life, right? Yes, it's perfect. a simple... Life is trudging through thorns and thistles. Right. It's resistance in all things, and that's why the scripture says we need to press forward 
Because we're pressing against opposition. Yes. All the way. And therein lies growth. That's, that's right. That's There's no cool. growth without pressing. Opposition. Yes. Without pressing through. Yeah. Okay. It's just not possible. Right. There is no other way. There is really isn't. <laughs> there isn't. Okay. Right, right. When you lift a weight and you curl your bicep, the bicep, the cells in the bicep break. Mm-hmm. Then they grow larger because they are, they know they're in trouble. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they need to, they know, oh, if that happens again, the cell says to itself, I assume, I've got to be bigger and more powerful to withstand this. Right. And that is exactly why the Lord wants us to press through because it's the only way we can become spiritually stronger. There is no other way. Okay. I, I just love that principle. Yeah. It rocks my world. Yeah. So when Adam and Eve broke the covenant, the Lord said to them, you're going to have to go through this. He said, thorns and thistles. He had to invoke the consequences for our good. Remember right, right. that. Remember the ketubah, right. the marriage agreement? Right. Uh, there are consequences for breaking that covenant, they are absolutely dictated by reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, You break that covenant, there are natural consequences. And for Adam and Eve, those consequences are symbolized by thorns and thistles. And in other words, torments and afflictions. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Unfortunately, they will come to us all. Yeah, it's part of the plan. It has to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we can um, avoid a lot of it by our own choices. But the book of Leviticus tells us what those consequences are for breaking the covenant. Mm-hmm. Those consequences are stark. And uh, let me just read the consequences of violating the marriage covenant of Israel. Quote, if you break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. Terror, consumption, the burning ague, that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. You shall sow your seed in vain. Your enemies shall eat it. You shall be slain before your enemies. and They that hate you shall reign over you. That's in the 26th chapter of Leviticus. That is what happens to people who break the covenant. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to be that person. No, and it, now, it may happen spiritually. Right. Or physically, or both. Right. Okay? And the consequences that are spoken of in Leviticus are the consequences the earth goes through in the last days Mm. because the human race, the children of God, won't listen to him. And they won't respond to the Spirit, and so they they continue to suffer. There's no other way. They, They have to because when you break an eternal law, the consequences are also eternal. They're... Mm -hmm. You pick up this end of the stick, you pick up the other end too. You're free, but there's always a consequence. That's right. Mm -hmm. So in other words, what happens is the initiatory blessings, remember those? Mm -hmm. They become cursings to covenant breakers. Uh, You you get disease instead of health. You get sorrow instead of rejoicing. You get famine and death instead of fruitfulness and life. Now, we see those judgments fall on a disloyal people as the Lord opens each of the seals. Oh, you see that? Right. We talked okay. about that in the yes. last, our uh-huh. last podcast, right? So these are the, these are the 
covenant, the marriage covenant. Yeah, these are the if seven you, oppositions, yes, right? Yes, exactly. There are seven, but we're, we're, we're doing four right now. The right. four horsemen. Oh, okay. those are the yeah. first four oppositions. Yeah, let's, okay, yeah, let's it, not get it. confused. Okay, thank you for clarifying um, that. When the first seal gets opened, uh, John sees a white horse. I'm going to quote now. A white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's in the second verse of chapter 6. Now, what is this thing? Uh, you look up in the sky and you see this thing. What is it? Well, it's a, it's a symbol. It's uh, represented in the zodiac by the sign Sagittarius. Mm. And Sagittarius is an archer. He's a bowman. Mm -hmm. He's armed with a, uh, the Greeks called it a toxone, which is a poisoned arrow from which we get the word toxic, by the way, okay? Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, Sagittarius is the symbol of Nimrod, uh, who shows up in the Bible. He's the mighty hunter, uh, the king of Babylon. Yeah, I always he, wondered about Nimrod. Yeah, he, he built the Tower of Babel, and in Jewish legend, he was the supreme example of a tyrant. Mm. He was Satan's representative on earth. Nimrod was the first king to wear a crown. It was a laurel wreath of the conqueror. He was a conqueror, and that's important to remember. Mm -hmm. um, his crown is represented in heaven by the constellation um, Southern Crown. Uh, the, they call it the Corona Australis, which is just south of the archer's bow, just southwest. So can you see it in your mind's eye? Here's Sagittarius, a horseman with a bow. He's drawing an arrow. And he's crowned by the Southern Crown, the constellation called the Southern Crown. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what John is seeing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Okay, so that's the astronomical symbol he's talking about. Now, what does he represent? That's the important question. Mm -hmm. Well, he's the man on the white horse. Have you ever heard that phrase, that mm -hmm. expression? Yeah, I have. We talk, we talk about it in politics. We say, the, the country's in trouble. We need a man on a white horse, right? We need somebody, to, we need the swoop Lone Ranger in, yeah. to swoop in and yeah. save us, right? Yeah. So yeah. he's the man on the white horse. Uh, he's the conquering hero, the, uh, the great leader who promises utopia, uh, but it ends up as a nightmare, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, history is full of, of people like that, mm. figures like him, like Caesar, um, uh, Napoleon, Hitler, you know, all these these great figures who ride in to save the day, and they turn out to be monsters. Right, right. So right. In astrology, we uh, they associate the first horseman with the planet Jupiter. Oh, okay. Now, Jupiter was the supreme god, right, mm -hmm. Greco-Roman religion. And in chapter 2, verse 13, you'll remember that John equated the temple of Jupiter at Pergamos, mm -hmm. with the throne of Satan. That's yeah. what he called the throne of Satan. That's identifying the king of the gods with the god of this world, Satan, who personifies unrighteous dominion. He's the, he's the conqueror who comes in, beats everybody up, and so, takes their stuff and says, I'm in charge here. You guys have to do what I say. Essentially, that's the white horseman. Okay. okay? So, so let me get this straight. The, the symbol of the white horseman is the constellation Sagittarius, who is an archer with a poison arrow. And Sagittarius is the symbol for Nimrod, who is the first great tyrant. Yes, you, you've summed it up nicely, okay? The white horseman represents tyranny. He represents conquest, dictatorship, all forms of unrighteous dominion. Mm. 
which is a plague on the mortal world. It's funny because that seems, um, you always have a sense of heroic, good vibe about a white horseman, but um, sure. this, yeah. this is contradictory yeah, and, and to and that. They, they always come around, right? Back at the French Revolution, the, the French people could, oh, our country is a mess. We need, we, need a, a, we need a strong man to run things and get things back in order. And of course, here he comes, right? Napoleon. Yeah. Yes, of and course. And we even have... We even have uh, portraits of him on his white, white horse, horse. exactly, <laughs> which is, you know, that's an ancient symbol of the, the guy who comes and saves the day yeah. and turns out to be a jerk. Joseph Smith said this, never forget, in Doctrine and Covenants 121, he said that the impulse to be a tyrant is, quote, in the nature and disposition of almost all men, and it's a prime source of human misery. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says that tyranny is, quote, the very mainspring of all corruption, and the whole earth groans under its weight. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 123, verse 7. So, it's the first great tribulation to be oppressed by tyrants, and people want to control, control everybody and take everybody's stuff, right? It also applies to our homes. It's important to remember this. This is the danger and disposition of almost all men. That means all dads. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. I'm with you. Okay. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, and this is a quotation, in the homes of the saints, there should never be any unrighteous dominion of husband over wife. No assertion of superiority, no assertion of authority, but rather an expression in living which says that the two are equally yoked. You may think you have authority in your home, but you better be careful about how you use that. So Adam and Eve are supposed to sojourn together, right? In love, side by side, mm -hmm. with no compulsion on either side. It's all voluntary. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the husband does not control the wife or vice versa. There should be no urge to conquer the other, okay? Or anyone else. A conqueror's crown is totally meaningless in a family. Think about it. Okay, so the white horse is unrighteous dominion. Yes. It's a primary source of the great tribulation, mortal wow. sorrow. So he opens one seal. Now look, here is a primary source of the trouble you're going to have. It's, the, uh, it's, it's tyranny or the impulse to exercise unrighteous dominion. dominion. Yeah, okay, it makes perfect sense. Now, when the second seal is opened, John sees, quote, another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword, close quote. That's uh, chapter six, verse three. Well, there's no mystery about him, right? <laughs> okay, war. War. Uh, the red color in Greek it's pyros. Um, uh, the red horse in astronomy is Scorpio, which is another autumn constellation. Sagittarius is an autumn constellation. Remember, you're going into the dark part of the year. Mm -hmm. Scorpio is another dark constellation. You're getting darker. Okay. The Greek word pyros or red appears in again in Revelation a lot. It appears in chapter twelve to describe Satan. He is, quote, the great red dragon, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that sweeps away one-third of the stars with his tail. In other words, one-third of the, the host, spirits, yeah, right? The host of heaven, yeah. 
Now, the dominant star in the constellation Scorpio is a giant red star. And if very clear night, you look up at Scorpio, you can see the giant red star, Antares. Mm. Okay. To the ancients, he was known as Kalb Alakrab, which directly translates as the heart of the scorpion. Mm. Now, isn't that a great uh, very good. metaphor for Satan, right? Yes, very, okay. very good metaphor. The star Antares is also associated with Mars because... Obviously, because they're both red, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mars anciently was the war god. Mm. Okay, we all we should know that the red planet, its reddish color, symbolizes blood, war, carnage. Mars and Antares together were the quote the cause of destruction, wars, civil faction, capture, enslavement, uprisings, the wrath of leaders, and sudden deaths. <laughs> Close quote. That was uh, that's how the ancients. Uh, thought of it if they saw those stars. Now, fittingly, the, the red horseman carries a sword, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called, that's in, in Greek, that's called a machera. It's a, a soldier's sword. So it's mm-hmm. not just any sword. It's the sword carried by the army. Right, right. It's, it's a military weapon. Right. Okay? So the red horse symbolizes war. Yes. The second seal reveals the man of war. Mm-hmm. Bloodshed, horror, Another primary source of human misery, right? Mm -hmm. So far we've got Satan, who is the father of contention, right? Mm -hmm. He began by stirring up the hearts of men to contend with anger, Mm -hmm. one with another. That's in 3 Nephi. He fired up contention in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And he rose up in rebellion against God, and he was cast down. He is the cause of war. Right. And war is not a good thing, especially in the home. And that is so profound. Yeah, let's think about the home for a minute. Oh my gosh! The, a lack of contention is the hallmark of a righteous home. The Savior said, "Quote: There shall be no contention among you." That's in Third Nephi. There shall be no contention among you. That's a commandment. There shall not be contention. President Nelson. Today, he warns this, he says, quote, the family has been under attack ever since Satan first taunted Adam and Eve. So today, each family must guard against the hazard of contention in the family, close quote. Now, a key purpose of the ketubah, remember, a key purpose of it is to eliminate contention. Mm-hmm. That's why. That's one reason it was written. Yeah, up. it was an agreement. It was to, an agreement. To cohabitate to, or to work cohabit, together. Right. work together in love and peace. Right. And um, it was to eliminate contention between a husband and a wife. Now, just as the bridegroom covenants to consecrate, quote, all that I now possess, even the mantle on my shoulders. That's the, the words of the ketubah. He covenants to consecrate it all to his bride. Do you remember last episode we talked about the betrothal? Mm-hmm. And the betrothal, the Hebrew word for betrothal was erisin. Mm-hmm. The Erisin ceremony, the Jews say, encourages what they call shalom bait, which is peace in the home through mutual respect and loving kindness. Mm. Okay, so the white horse symbolizes unrighteous dominion and the red horse symbolizes contention. Right, okay. So those are two of the major causes of misery in this mortal world. Can you think of two more bigger tribulations? No. Then have a contentious world, a world governed by tyrants and contention. Yeah, I, okay. I can't. That is 
That's the great tribulation the Lord speaks wow. of. Uh, those are two major causes of misery in the mortal world. Now let's move on to the third seal. When the third seal is opened, John sees, quote, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. This is verses five and six in chapter six. Very puzzling stuff. Yeah. It's, what does it all mean? Yeah. Well, in the sky, uh, in the night sky, the third rider would be the constellation Libra. Libra is a figure who carries... The scales of justice. The scales, yeah, that's right? He carries Libra. an image of balances right. or scales. Mm -hmm. And they use scales a lot in the ancient world. That's how they priced things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Astronomers called them the claws of autumn, which is an, an interesting image. John hears this voice coming from the marketplace. It's the voice of a salesman. And it's quoting prices for goods. Mm -hmm. right? Now, if you know the economics of the time, these are extremely high inflated prices for grain. Uh, we read this and it doesn't mean anything to us. But, right, right, right. But in John's time, he would have said, wow, that's a lot to pay <laughs> for, for a handful of grain or a mm. handful of oil. Okay, and It was like eight or tenfold the normal price. Now, we know what inflation is, but very few of us know what tenfold inflation is. Right, okay? right. Mm -hmm. And that leads most scholars to conclude that the third rider represents famine. Oh. Now, of course... Hunger often plagued parts of the ancient world, particularly among the poor. So the black horseman represents famine. Maybe. However, historians tell us that famine was generally rare in the world that John lived in, mm. in the Roman world. It was a fairly sophisticated economy. It was mm -hmm. governed by the Roman state. Okay. The big problem was not famine. It was corruption. That makes sense. Okay. Symbolized by fake balances. Okay. Now think about fake balances. What does a fake scale represent to you? Fake scale represents uh, someone trying to steal from me. Somebody trying to cheat you. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's an old joke about the, the merchant who holds his thumb on the scale. You're right. <laughs> okay. Why does he do that? To make what you're buying seem more valuable when it isn't. Right. So it benefits him and it hurts it. Yeah, hurts it hurts you. you. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's a historian of um, the economy of that time. His name is Mark Matthews. And this is what he says. The scales reflect the economic injustice of the Roman Empire. Food crises confirmed social inequalities in the ancient world. The rich, who were typically large landowners, stored their grain in good seasons, but obviously the poor couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So they had to buy it. If there was a drought, like uh, took place in Antioch at one time, the wealthy of the town withheld food from the poor. They literally held it back. And until the emperor himself had to step in and say, hey, um, he, he forced them to part with some of it so that there wouldn't be a massive riots. Mm -hmm. okay. And as always, the slaves and the humble people suffered first and foremost, right? Yeah. They always do. And regardless of the weather, the profiteers were always manipulating prices. Yeah. It's, it's no fun to go hungry because of the greed of other people. Yeah. They, they manipulated prices. Wealthy elites, including the Roman emperors, used a variety of methods to exercise control, Matthew says. He says this. The food supply was one instrument by which they maintained social order. So you keep the poor in their place, the rich happy, 
everything's fine. Under the balance sign of Libra, this, this is interesting because in the ancient world, the balance sign of Libra represented Rome's control of the world. Isn't that, inter isn't that That's interesting? That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. But private merchants in the marketplace always did their thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Not only did they charge exorbitant prices, get this, say, oh, don't touch the oil and the wine. Well, why not? Well, because the merchants stored this luxury stuff up so they could supply the wealthy customers instead of selling the stuff to anyone. It was control of a market. Don't mm -hmm. touch that. That's, that's for rich people. That's not for you. Okay. Mm. So I get it. The black horseman represents a cheating businessman and a corrupt government. Yeah. And more specifically, the black horse symbolizes economic injustice. The color black was associated with the planet Mercury who is the god of merchants and thieves. Wow. <laughs> and by the way, they didn't necessarily make a distinction there. Between, <laughs> between merchants and thieves. And thieves. Okay. <laughs> yeah. and according to ancient astronomers, Mercury causes robbery, theft, and piracy. Oh, wow. So if, if Mercury is high in the sky, then you hold on to your stuff. You yeah, know? people are okay. thieving. They're yeah, running. Yeah. So oppressing the poor is a theme throughout all the scriptures, wow. right? The Lord always comes down hard on greedy, rich men. For example, um, Isaiah. Uh, sees God on his throne, and he sees God interrogating the souls of prominent men who have lived by cheating the poor. And this is a quote. You have eaten up the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind on the faces of the poor? Close quote. That's, what, that's the question the Lord will ask. Oh, man. Uh, greedy people. So in Revelation chapter 18, later, we will see that economic crimes like this bring harsh judgment. Okay, the white horse symbolizes unrighteous dominion, the red horse symbolizes contention, and the black horse symbolizes greed. And they are all prime reasons for human suffering. That's a good summing up. These are all causes of the, quote, great tribulation, but there's one more. The fourth seal. When the fourth seal is opened, John sees, quote, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. That's uh, verse 8 in chapter 6. The pale horse is actually yellowish-green. Uh, the Greek word that's used here is chloros, and um, it's where we get the word chlorine from. Oh, okay. <laughs> chloros, uh, denoting sickness and death. It's the color of a corpse. And with death rides Hades, meaning that which is unseen, or the world of the dead souls. Uh, there's a great French theologian named Jacques Ellul, and he says that this fourth horse is, quote, livid, sickly, anemic, ridden by death or pestilence. The one or, and the other are identical in the thoughts of the time. Close quote. This is the constellation Capricorn. Now you're getting into winter. Yes, yes. Capricorn rises on the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year. Oh, okay. okay. That's um, just before Christmas. The longest night of the year is uh, when Capricorn rises. And Capricorn is associated with the pale planet Saturn. And ancient astrologers believe that Saturn spreads, quote, illness, consumption, withering, fevers, mourning, fear, and death, close quote. They called Capricorn is a goat that rides on the sea. So they called it the sea goat. Makes uh, sense. 
half fish, half goat. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. And this image is always in the ancient world identified with the devil. Again, here's Satan. These are all representations of Satan's power mm -hmm. in various ways. One interesting side note, okay? Mm -hmm. Caesar Augustus, who was born under the sign of Capricorn, okay, mm -hmm. imposed the image of the sea goat everywhere. It was his logo. Coins, jewelry, the flags are standards of the Roman legions. The sea goat demon became the trademark or logo of the emperor, whose power over life and death was absolute. So the pale horse represents disease and death, and everybody experiences those things. Right. Okay, let's sum up. The four horsemen are the chief causes of the great tribulation we experience in mortality. In this telestial world, we suffer from unrighteous dominion, that's the white horse, war and contention, the red horse, economic injustice, the black horse, and disease and death, the pale horse. To one extent or the other, we all suffer these tribulations. Well, of course, some more than others. Interestingly, all four horsemen are actually autumn and winter signs of the zodiac in the night sky. They appear in the dark part of the year, <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. the telestial world. John knew this, and uh, he used these symbols to help people understand why they encounter tribulation in the world. So in our next episode, we'll talk about how the four horsemen relate to us personally. Okay. This has been very informative and enlightening. I, I'm excited to, to go into our next podcast. Thanks.